From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. After the sting of the loss in Death Valley, Dan Mullen's team got back up and beat South Carolina last week in the swampiest conditions you're likely to find outside Florida. Now resting up during a much-needed bye week, what will likely be the defining game of Florida's season is on the horizon. On this week's show, FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry join us to discuss the resilience of this football team, the continued evolution of Kyle Trask, the sudden emergence of Jacob Copeland, the latest on Florida's nagging injury issues, a closed-door first look at the preseason top 10 basketball squad, and when the line for player discipline is crossed in the PAT. Then, basketball guard Noah Locke stops by to discuss his growth over the offseason, how a sophomore can become a leader, the toughest preseason drills, and much more. But first, while it doesn't always follow the straight line some fans would prefer for the sake of their health, the Gators continue to find different ways to win nearly every week. And as we discussed to open this week's roundtable with Scott and Chris, the one constant is dominating the fourth quarter. The numbers uh, obviously prove it, Adam. This season alone, the Gators have outscored opponents 85-21 to 21 in the fourth quarter. So other than LSU, obviously, uh, that's been a... a their quarter they've scored more points in the fourth quarter than any other quarter and in the second half it's 147 to 65 so you know you could say Florida is really been a second half team and uh that's a reason why our heart large reason why they're what seven and one ranked seventh in the country heading into a big bye week i'll just i'll cite composure you know being on the road uh in that kind of uh the environment and the inclement weather and it was damp out there and kind of dreary or whatever, but I mean, it's all, it was all represented in the way Kyle Trask played. And I think the composure also is represented in how many coaches get 15 yard unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. Will Muschamp got that granted. It was late and the game was probably over at the time, but there was something that led to that. And he was freaking out over some penalties that weren't called. And there were certainly some penalties both ways that that probably uh, should have been called that weren't. But uh, Kyle Trask just kind of—he's a cool customer out there, man. And um, Scott and I talked to uh, Damian Pierce afterwards, uh, up, right out right out by the bus, and he was saying that's that's what he is all the time. And it, that, it didn't surprise him how he performed. I mean, fourth and three play, Gators are losing the game at the time, twenty to seventeen. Trask is back to pass. He gets a little bit of pressure, kind of flushed to the left. You think you, you think he wants to throw it, but he holds it for just another. A uh, second or so, enough for Kyle Pitts to set up his guy downfield, kind of wall him off with his back, and puts it right where it needs to be for that completion. And I believe the next play is the 25-yard go-ahead to Fred Swain. That's a, a element of composure. That's a moment of cool and calm that spreads to your team. And like Scott said, the uh, the next series was the sack fumble by Zach Carter and Kyrie Campbell, which led to another touchdown. And I think that was also the series where. Uh, there was a defensive holding or a pass interference that South Carolina didn't agree with. And I would imagine that got some things going on the South Carolina sidelines that probably uh, didn't go a long way to helping them finish the game. But uh, Kyle Trask is a that game. The fourth quarter was kind of like a microcosm of how he is. 
Uh, I've yet to see him get too terribly excited. Maybe the shushing he did after that second touchdown of those uh, three touch- touchdown passes he threw in the fourth quarter or was about as, I don't know, defiant or um, over-exuberant than maybe we've seen him. But, I mean, that was very, it was very quick. It was almost on, it was unnoticed. I don't think anyone noticed that there wasn't a picture taken of it. But he is the kind of straw that stirs the drink for this team right now. And obviously it starts with Mullen. He has a plan. He always has a plan. The buy-in is, you know, has been what it is for the last about almost a year now since they started on this run. What is it now, uh, Scott? 11 of the last 12? Yep. They've won 11 of the last 12. Uh, Dan Mullen, 17 and four in his two seasons here. Uh, again, a big win, and we didn't even mention before, it's an SEC East win. And because of an SEC East win, it's bigger, and obviously this is the start of four straight SEC East games. Georgia, obviously, is the next one. You know, if people say, well, it's just South Carolina going, well, remember what happened the week before. They went to Georgia and won with their, you know, finished the game with their third-string quarterback. Let's not forget the Missouri, which was leading the SEC East, just went to Vanderbilt and lost. It is not easy to win road games. Okay, it's not easy to win uh, divisional games. Florida is doing what it has to do to stay on the path. The goal, of course, being to get to the uh, SEC championship game in Atlanta. And to do that, you got to, you know, you got to win your division games. And obviously the next one's a big one. Mm -hmm. We were talking about Kyle Trask there and some of the things he's done really well. And I think it is worth noting this because we talked about after his first few starts, especially after the Auburn game, you know, how he had to improve in terms of his pocket presence and, there were just some things he wasn't doing that he needed to learn. And I think that's something you really have to highlight. This is a guy who hasn't played that much, and yet his instincts to start climbing the pocket more, which he's doing, to know how much time he has to get rid of the ball, to know when to bleed the play clock a little bit further when he's getting up to the line. I mean, the the growth that we've seen from Trask, even in a short period of time, I think it's it's almost... It's almost impossible to think he's growing as quickly as he is, despite how little playing time he's had. I'm going to let Scott expound on this, but I'll just say one thing. It's coaching, okay? Whoever the quarterback is in, I mean, Felipe Franks, so yes, people want to pile on and whatever. Felipe Franks was coached last year and became a better quarterback. When Emory Jones is in the game, he looks like he's been there before. And now Kyle Trask is starting to do that. And I think Scott can speak to this very issue because he's dealt, he's talked to Mullen, he's talked to Brian Johnson before. Well, yeah, I mean, those guys, they have a connection that goes back a while, Mullen and Brian Johnson. Obviously, Brian Johnson, you know, was coached by Mullen, has worked on his staff uh, at different stops along Mullen's uh, career. And, you know, they have a, a real good understanding and work relationship of what they want out of their quarterbacks. And you look at Mullen's history, I mean, we've talked about it. Wherever he's been, they've had good quarterback plays. So that doesn't happen by accident. He, he understands that position. He knows how to make it work within the parameters of not only his offense, but most importantly, within the roster. I mean, you know, we saw a lot of improvement from Felipe Franks last year. I think we continue to see some this year. And, you know, Felipe Franks, I mean, he, he looked like a different quarterback a lot of times in 2018 than he did 2017. And that played a large role into Florida's success. And obviously, whenever a guy like Kyle Trask takes over, you don't know what it's going to look like because he, he just doesn't have that game experience. Uh, but I think what Chris was saying, it doesn't matter whether it's been Kyle Trask or Emory Jones. They both have performed pretty well uh, when they've been called on. And, of course, Trask is in a more prominent role. And, 
I mean, he, he's just equipped for this. I mean, it is good coaching, but guess what? Uh, you got to be a good player to, to do. make good coaching matter. And Kyle Trask, he's handled this really about as well as you can ask for. I mean, he's got 14 touchdown passes uh, since he took over. That's pretty good in, what, five games, six games? Uh, I just, I've been impressed that he has each week as he gets more experience, you're seeing more uh, composure. He did get hit on a drop back this week that he didn't see coming at South Carolina. But, the, you know, he held on to the ball this time. It, it was kind of a similar play that we saw against Auburn a couple of times where he was back there and uh, he just missed reading the, the guy who was free to, to knock him down. Uh, it happened at South Carolina once. Uh, you know, he held on to the ball. Uh, I think he'll continue to get better in that regard. But the, the thing I've been most impressed probably is, to be honest with you, is his accuracy uh, – on some of these tight throws, that throw to Van Jefferson where down in South Carolina, LSU had a couple of them. I mean, both of those throws had to be exactly where they were for uh, Jefferson to be able to grab the ball. So he's really good, it seems to me, in the red zone of finding those tight spots. And the receivers are making plays. He's got a lot of tools to work with, obviously. Good uh, receiver core. And then you can't uh, really, I don't think, undervalue the emergence of Kyle Pitts. What that's meant to allowing Trask to develop a really first option or comfort zone early in his reads because, I mean, Kyle Pitts, to me, he's he's a special talent. I think we're all seeing that on a week-by-week basis. He continues to get better. And as he has done that, guess what? Kyle Trask has continued to look better. So some pieces of the puzzle have come together nicely for the Gators when they really needed them to. John Gruden used to say that really good tight end he's a joker in the deck man okay he can be that security blanket for you in a case because when you got a tight end that can overmatch the guy who's, who's defending him and in this case he's almost always going to be a linebacker and you can count on him he's got big mitts and he's going to bring the ball in and can body up and he goes and chase the ball i mean uh that's what this guy has obviously turned into and uh, we've watched him uh really develop right before our eyes he's I, I'm not sure there's a better tight end in the country. Of course, I'm not well versed in tight ends across America, but I know they got a great one right here. Well, and talking about those weapons, uh, you know, you saw when Kadarius Tony went out, that kind of left a little bit of a void. And the first thing we saw after he went out was Jacob Copeland being used a little bit on some of those similar jet sweeps and that type of role. And then he sort of faded away. And then he comes back this past week, and you know it's huge. He has the first touchdown catch of the game, uh, was just really dynamic and making plays down the field for Florida. And for his efforts, was named SEC Freshman of the Week. So, you know, given how deep Florida is at wide receiver, it's it's really amazing to have yet another talent emerging and one that's very very young as well. Yeah, I think uh, Dan Mullen said it after the South Carolina game that the last couple of weeks he no- he's noticed a, a discernible difference in Jacob Copeland at practice in the way he's running routes. You know, he it's obvious to see the physical talent, but and some of the plays he's he would make in practice. But like Mullen said, yeah, we can see that. But we also see when you run the uh, wrong way on a route, and he stopped seeing some of those uh, miscues by Copeland at practice, and it earned him more playing time on Saturday. And he produced that one catch he made uh, where he had to go up between defenders, and I mean that was a, that was a play that a lot of receivers don't make, and. Certainly in recent years, a lot of uh, Florida receivers haven't made. You know, Copeland, he came in with such uh, high praise. He was really Mullen's top recruit in his first class. And, you know, those guys are always expected to come in and produce right away. And I think uh, probably really benefited Copeland's development that 
they did have some talent at that position and maybe they could bring him along a little slower than otherwise. But also, I, I think, you know, he had injuries. I mean, he just wasn't healthy last year, so he never really had a chance. And then this year, he's healthy, finally getting a chance, and he's just growing into that role. He's a dangerous weapon. I mean, they're losing some real talent on offense uh, after this season. So Jacob Copeland is a big part of their future. And uh, right now, he's uh, emerging as a bigger part of the present. With Kadarius Tony missing time, uh, you know, like you said, Adam, at first I think everybody just assumed that he was going to slide right into that role. It didn't necessarily come to fruition like that. I think he's got some skill. He's got some ability to run with the ball, but probably not to Tony's level. But at the same time, I think he's probably more equipped in the downfield passing game. He's obviously bigger, uh, a little stronger than Tony. Uh, He's a more natural receiver. So I think he's a he's a nice addition to have uh, down the stretch here. If he can continue to uh, make plays like he did at South Carolina. Yeah, what strikes me about him is receivers. A lot of times, these these guys don't look as big as they are when you're when you're up next to them and and see see them up close. Whereas a guy like like Van Jefferson, I think, is about six three and about a one ninety seven, and Trayvon Grimes, I think, is six five and about uh, two fifteen or so. You know, uh, Jacob Colt was six feet and a very solid, you know, one hundred ninety five, two hundred pounds, and with big hands too where he'd go up and get that ball. And his athleticism obviously showed at one particular play. Of course, he had the, the other long play to set up the first touchdown in the in the first half. But uh, there were some people who thought, and certainly we were among those who thought maybe he'd be that guy who stepped into the Kadarius Tony role. Um, maybe that's not for him right now. I think uh, uh, getting downfield and using his physical talents, uh, it's working for him right now. And just uh, this team has a lot of receivers, man, a lot of weapons downfield. And Kyle Trask has uh, has found another one that he obviously has a has a comfort zone with. Scott, you touched on uh, some injuries there, and that's obviously been a big part of the storyline, especially lately for the Gators. And I know this bye week is coming at a critical time, and we'll certainly, hopefully, we'll know more next week around this time. But what do we know as of now about not only Kadarius Tony, but more specifically John Grenard, Jabari Zuniga, Trey Grimes went down at the end of the South Carolina game. We saw Dunlap come off the field. What do we know about injury status as of now? Well, the two big ones, obviously, are John Grenard and Jabari Zaniga. Bowen addressed those uh, after a South Carolina win, saying that he expects them after a week of uh, a Dubai week to be able to, you know, return to practice for the Georgia game and and to hopefully play. They were game time decisions at South Carolina, um, but neither really were able to even go out there and test uh, themselves on that wet field, which. That was probably couldn't go, but also maybe even for precautionary reasons, because you don't want to put them at even greater risk in less than ideal conditions. But, you know, with those high ankle sprains, I mean, coaches talk about them all the time. They're, you just don't know with those things. Uh, they they seem to linger. And uh, in that case of uh, Zaniga, it's really cost him up to this point about half his senior season. Uh, Grenard, for my money, I mean, he's he's been the most valuable player on the team. And while the defense rebounded some at South Carolina, uh, you know, in the last two games without him, they've just they've they've missed that presence. They've missed that edge, that physical uh, rusher that he brings. I mean, he's just such a leader and a guy that defense rallies around. So, you know, they want him back for Georgia. Uh, Kadarius Tony, you know, Dan Mullen has pointed toward the Georgia game. Uh, really for well over a month is possibly the game that he returns. Uh, 
I'm sure that's still what they hope. I mean, we'll we'll find out more obviously next week uh, on all these injuries. But as of right now, he sounded most optimistic on getting uh, Zaniga and Grenard back on the field for practice leading up to the Georgia game. So we'll obviously talk more about the latest on injuries and more uh, specifically about the Georgia game next week. But now I want to turn our attention to basketball because uh, things are really ramping up now. This week we found out Florida not only is a top 10 team preseason, they're number six in the country, uh, which Chris, I know you can give us some perspective on that. They also had a closed door scrimmage against USF. So this is the time of year Chris gets really excited because now we got some real tangible stuff to talk about with Gator Hoops. Yeah, uh, USF came to uh, the O-Dome over the weekend for a one of those closed-door scrimmages that um, the NCAA allows every team to have. Um, you can have two, but that's assuming you don't have a preseason game that's open to the public. So uh, Florida has the one plus the preseason uh, opener, which is next week against uh, Florida Southern on Tuesday night, October 29th. But USF is uh, is going to be a, a decent team this year. I think the last few years, you can make a case that they're one of the most depleted Division One programs in the country, but um, they've done a good job of, of building up with building back up with some uh, grad transfers and regular transfers when I have you. And they won the uh, CBI last year, um, last season in a, in a best two or three uh, over DePaul. They come up to Florida, and uh, again, Florida beats them 76 to 58. Kerry Blackshear, the transfer from uh, Virginia Tech, he has 17 and seven. He hits all three of his threes. He goes six to seven from the floor. Um, did the kind of stuff that uh, he's expected to do. The coach wanted to shoot some shoot in the first half, and he uh, early in the first half, and he, he declined a couple open ones. That was a, a bone of contention with them. Um, it was a sloppy game to some degree. Florida had 20 turnovers, which obviously is not acceptable. But that that happens a lot early on in the season, and I think they kind of righted the ship. Uh, some of those things were on, you know, uh, maybe some misassign miscommunication, as it were, a couple pick and rolls that Andrew Nemhard is maybe a little bit ahead of, say, Omar Payne, the freshman, in terms of. Uh, getting the ball there, Omar not being ready for it or what have you. But um, it went, I would think, as about as well as you'd want it to go. You want you want some things to uh, to pick at after a preseason scrimmage. Trey Mann, the McDonald's All-American uh, freshman, he came off the bench. He had 12 points. Um, uh, Andrew Nemhard had 11 points, uh, four assists, three steals. He also had four of those 20 turnovers. Most of the turnovers came from the starting unit. I think they counted for 14 of the 20. But uh, Scotty Lewis, the, the other freshman McDonald's All-Mary, he had six and three, hit both of his two point, oh, excuse me, both of his three-point shots. Shooting threes is not his forte. He's more uh, the athletic end-to-end kind of guy. So uh, uh, he's, he was in the starting lineup along with Noah Locke, along with Andrew Nemhard, along with Keontae Johnson, those three uh, returning guys who started most of the freshman season, and Kerry Blackshear. So uh, there's a baseline now from which to work. We'll see where that improves uh, against Lynn, the Division II team school from the Sunshine State Conference. Um, but Florida will go into the season, like you mentioned, uh, six in the country, and that is their uh, highest preseason ranking since they debuted at number eight for the 2017-18 season. They got to as high as fifth and then uh, hit some speed bumps there. Uh, Billy Donovan would tell you, uh, he hates being ranked uh, high in the preseason. I mean, they were ranked very high in – 2013-14 he complained about it. of course they won 30 in a row and went to the final four the next year they were ranked in the top 10 he complained about it and they finished uh, uh i think 15 and 16 so uh, uh it has its merits it has its drawbacks 
but this is all part of the stuff that this team is going to have to handle uh, with regard to uh, expectations. They're very, very high. Uh, last week, obviously, we talked about it. Uh, SEC media days, Florida was picked to finish second behind Kentucky. You know, when you look at the teams that are ranked ahead of them in this top 20 poll, Michigan State, Duke, Louisville, uh, Kentucky. Um, those are some of the, those are obviously the uh, the blue bloods that most of Kansas, I think, we're talking about. And uh, Florida's up there with them. So um, we'll see. And it won't take long to find out where this team is uh, after that season opener on November 5th against North Florida. They'll roll right into a game against Florida State, which has beaten the Gators five straight years. That's the longest run for the Seminoles in the series history that dates to like the uh, mid-50s or what have you. So uh, they'll be tested early and we'll know a lot more about them then. But, you know, we don't have to jump that far ahead now. We'll learn a lot more about them in the coming weeks. Chris, I saw the great story that you did on FloridaGators.com about the freshmen and sort of their uh, their initiation into the program. And a lot of that is through some of these drills. I, I specifically was interested in hearing more about the feelings drill. Uh, can you talk about that story you wrote and, and some of the things these freshmen are having to experience as they learn what it's like to be a college basketball player? Well, you just see them when they, when they get called on something. You can see them. They roll their eyes or they don't understand and and it's, it's all this is part of the acclimating them to what what they expect. I was talking to Al Pinkins. He said when the refs come in or or when their coaches are, are blowing whistles during practice, they're going to let things go. They're going to officiate practice and officiate their scrimmages, their scrimmage times. They're going to call fouls like like they're going to get called at LSU or Tennessee or Kentucky. And which means, you know, not not a lot. And they like to see when the players complain about it. That's part of the growing process. Uh, uh, the feelings drill is a, is a drill where it's, it's five on five, but it's a transition defense drill and transition defense is the hardest defense. That's where you give up uh, wide open threes. That's where opponents, you know, get run out dunks. That's where momentum changes. And the better you are at transition defense, obviously the better, better basketball team you're going to be. This team is well-versed to play good transition defense, but given that it's so young, it's got, it's got some, uh, maturing to do on that front and you don't want to be on defense in this drill okay and you, ha- you need two consecutive stops to uh get off defense and flip it around but uh a stop isn't a stop even though even if the guys miss a shot and you get three but stop's not a stop if you're out of position and they get an open shot so uh guys will maybe chirp a little back a little bit that's when they'll blow the whistle and say look his feelings are hurt get back and it's funny if you're watching it it may not be funny if you're participating in it so much. I don't think it's always been. It used to be called five on four and a half. But I think um, especially with the, the freshmen last year and now the, so many freshmen this year, I think the, uh, the assistant coaches uh, kind of uh, renamed it to the feelings drill because they can get under their goat a little bit, rub them a little wrong way, get under their skin and, you know, call it the feelings. Drill. Look, his feelings are hurt. They kind of roll their eyes. and know that they get back in a stance, get back on defense and get back to work. That's the whole idea of that. Well, and, and that ties directly into our PAT today, which is sort of about how coaches can communicate with players, how they can get points across sometimes. Uh, and the reason I thought about this is because the incident with Jeremy Pruitt over the weekend, uh, when Tennessee was shockingly very much in the game against Alabama, uh, Jerry Garantano, their quarterback, apparently missed a call at the line on fourth and goal, caused a turnover on downs. He's coming off the field, and Pruitt is getting in his face and then actually grabs his face mask and kind of yanks him toward him, which obviously set off a lot of uh, a lot of fire alarms around the country in terms of what is and is not appropriate anymore. It also made me think about what happened a few years ago with McElwain and Kelvin Taylor. You know, there's just there's a, a changing nature of what is considered acceptable 
between coaches and players. Uh, I'm curious for you guys, what do you think that line is today? And now that we've seen some very high-profile examples of where it was clearly crossed. Yeah, Adam, I mean, that line has changed some uh, over the decades. Obviously, 30, 40 years ago, you saw guys like Bear Bryant and uh, I'm sure Newt Rockney and Vince Lombardi and these guys. Um, yeah, grabbing a guy's face mask to get his attention was kind of a, a way that coaches operated. And over the years, uh, that line has changed. And obviously, when it happens now, like it did with Tennessee and Jeremy Pruitt, it does kind of... Uh, go viral on social media and i saw the replay and i was like well i I thought okay the face mask i mean to me it didn't look that severe but it's probably something he shouldn't have done i think the bigger thing is you know people had an issue you really want to show up your starting quarterback in such a public way again in the old days that's part of the game uh it's just you know everything has changed to some degree and I think the kid who's playing football now has also changed a lot. I mean, that's not a behavior that probably most college football players experience in high school who come into a program these days where 20, 25 years ago, most most high school football players probably had a coach get in their face or, uh, you know, I don't not necessarily grab their face mask, but certainly it, there was a more confrontational coaching style, I think, back then than we see today. You know, I guess the only way, the best way I can answer it is if that was my son and Jeremy Pruitt did that, you know, I might not like it. I understand that, you know, a coach is going to get on players and you've got to coach hard sometimes. I get all that. I just think anytime it gets any kind of physical – whether it's grabbing a guy by the face mask, you know, grabbing him hard by the shoulder pads, pushing him in the chest. In this day and age, you're probably better off staying away from that, even though, you know, I'm old enough to have, remember when it was a more part of the game. I just think that maybe that's a time that's passed. I had a football coach in, in high school who he had a championship ring from, I think, some, I don't know what level he won, but it was a big, big ring on his finger. And he'd bang you on your helmet with it. And sometimes he'd come up behind you and bang you on your head when you didn't have your helmet on. Did we like it? No. Put a big knot in your head. But that speaks to what Scott was talking about, uh, what's different now versus before. I, I remember the Sugar Bowl in 19, after the 89 season, Bill Curry, uh, one of his players uh, for Alabama, got a 15-yard penalty in the Sugar Bowl against Miami for, some, for a, throwing a punch or something stupid and the guy was walking off the field and Bill Curry grabbed him by his face mask and put him right in front of him and reamed him and was praised for it, praised for his discipline. OK, exactly 30 years later, you have exactly the opposite thing. Um, and that's just the way society has changed. And I, I, I understand that completely. I don't think Jeremy Pruitt tugged the guy's face mask very hard, to be honest with you. But I understand that, that the lines are different. Uh, I think uh Jeremy Pruitt's made enough mistakes that if he was wearing a helmet, there, there'd be a lot of people who want to tug on his face mask this year, too. So um, it's an in-the-moment thing. you know. I, should you be doing it now? Like Scott said, if it's your son, you're, you're probably not going to like it. But it is more of a, a product of where we are right now in a, in a society. And um, five years from now, I, we'll be even further down the road on that. We often say sports often reflect society as a whole. I think this is one of those examples where times have changed outside sports and, you know, the sports world is, is reflected as well. So not a surprise. Uh, drinking water. Remember when drinking water was a sign of weakness. That's right. And, and, and uh, seeing that in Remember the Titans, he says, you don't need right. water. Water makes you weak. <laughs> water, water makes you weak. Okay. Right. Right. Not having water makes you weak, yep. as we have found out. 
So while it is the bye week, what content do you guys have going up people should look out for between now and, of course, the, the start of Georgia week? I'm going to spend most of my time on TikTok, Adam, doing some <laughs> videos. That, uh, nah. <laughs> uh, you, you know, it's um, on the bye week, uh, I got an interesting story on a – I don't get a chance to write about a fan very often. But I think this one is going to pique your interest. Just imagine if you were a Gator fan and you had been to every – single home football game for this last 71 years and i'll leave it at that so i'll introduce you to this uh person and uh hopefully our audience out there will enjoy the story and i'll introduce you to a concept that's come up from the uaa uh, uh pet project of uh, athletic director scott strickland that'll intended to to help foster and develop and grow leadership in the locker rooms of uh florida athletic teams here so um that's something that it's a uh, it's a process uh, and a, a program that's been developed, and uh, you get details of that if you tune in to FloridaGators.com for the story on the Gators leadership experience. Awesome. We look forward to seeing all of that content. And never never a dull moment for you guys, even during the, uh, the bye week. And, of course, we'll see it crank back up next week. We'll talk Florida, Georgia, clearly the, uh, the defining moment of the season, and we'll, uh, we'll be here to preview it next week. Guys, thank you so much. Thanks, Adam. I need to go fill up my water bottle. <laughs> Thank you, Adam. It's not every day a sophomore is expected to lead, but when you have an almost complete overhaul of your roster from year to year, exceptions have to be made. Noah Locke is that outlier, as the Baltimore native is being looked to both on and off the court to provide guidance. With the season tipping off in just a few weeks, we checked in with Locke to find out how he and the Gators are feeling about their top 10 ranking and the weight of lofty expectations. I feel like we're in a pretty good place right now. Uh, I feel like there's definitely some things we need to work on. Just playing out there on the floor as a team. I mean, you know, we haven't really played a played a full game yet. And, you know, we played some practices and stuff. But, like, just, just playing against some different teams that are going to give you some different, like, looks. I mean, we pretty much know how we try to play in practice and stuff, but I feel like, you know, things are looking really good for us so far. If you can take us through the off season, because I know that, you know, the NCAA tournament ends and we don't really know what happens. Obviously, there's still a lot that you guys do once all that's over. What happens between the time the season ended to the start of practice? What goes on during that six, seven month period? Well, some of us get to go home, go back home for a little, for a while. Uh, Some of us stay for the, the summer sessions, get into the weight room, with uh, our strength trainer, you know, just get some individual workouts in with the coach or we, you know, go home and, you know, get some working on our own with our, like, personal trainers back home and, you know, just getting some things in back home that we, you know, used to there. And um, once we, we all come back for summer B, and it's, like, towards the end of the summer, and pretty much the whole team, you know, has to come back and do, like, some individual workouts where there's, like, guards and, like, the bigs will come, like, different times. And uh, once we get closer and closer to when the school year starts, you start to do more like team practices. Coach starts to, you know, give us some of the concepts that we would do in practice, some of the things that we would do. That's that's pretty much what happens. And um, we also we also go in the weight room three times a week during the summer, too. So I know one of the challenges you had late last year was, was trying to recover from that sports hernia. And you didn't talk a lot about it. You didn't want to make excuses about it because obviously that that's not what you're about. But. How much did that affect you, and how difficult was the recovery from that once the year ended? Well, they they figured out it wasn't a sports hernia. It was something uh, with my 
uh, it's called like your pubic symphysis. It's like this joint that connects both of your hip bones. It was like a little little ligament in there that was kind of messed up. And uh, I had to, you know, end up getting like a shot there and, and doing a lot of, you know, hip stretches because like I have really tight hips too. So they, I mean, the doctors were saying that that could have been the reason why I got that, that ligament tear. Well, it, I don't know if it was a tear, but it was just something going on in there. And they said that doing a lot of hip mobility stuff, getting a lot of stretches in. Um, and when I went back home, I went home during the uh, summer, the first summer session, and I went with a, um, one of my trainers back home. It's called Sweat Performance, and he has, like, his own organization, and he has, like, PT members in there. And I would go in there and, you know, work with those guys, and that they helped me out a whole lot. I came back feeling so much better, and I still feel really good right now. And, um, I mean, I haven't been feeling any pain now ever since I did those things. And, you know, I just got to stay on top of doing my um, my stretches and staying on top of just rehabbing and making sure that I'm just on top of that stuff. And, like, last year, it, I mean, it, it really did affect me a lot. I mean, I, I felt the games where I felt like I really couldn't move. I mean, I, I was trying to fight through it. felt like as soon as I started playing really well, that's when it started happening. But, I mean, I learned a lot from it. Um, it was a lot of adversity I went through, and I, I felt like I fought through it pretty well. When you went home over the summer, other than doing rehab and the stuff that probably wasn't the most fun, uh, what did you do to sort of enjoy yourself, your first summer back after being away? I mean, what, what was that like going back home and spending that time there? Um, it was really fun. It was really fun. I got to hang out with my family a lot. Um, I, well, I'm really close to my older brother, and um, he he plays basketball overseas. And during that time when I was back home, he was uh, actually still overseas, so I didn't really get to hang out with him a whole lot. But um, once I came back to school, he ended up coming back and came down to Florida with me and spent like two weeks with me. And I'm like really close with just my family, my my mom and dad and my sister and like my grandparents and stuff. So I got to hang out with them a lot. And I have a, like close friends that I got to hang out with. And, you know, most of the time I was really in the gym. I mean, I'm really close with my trainers, too. Even though I work out with them, I still hang out with them. Like if I work out, I, you know, maybe sit in the gym, maybe I, like an hour just talking with them, hanging out with them. You know, that, that's pretty much what I did. I mean, I just a little bit of time to rest and a lot of time to get better. I had a really good time. I mean, I enjoyed myself back with my fam. What's an ideal night back home? If there's, you don't have to work out, you don't have to worry about basketball stuff. When you're back home and you have a chance to hang out with friends, what does that night look like? One of my close friends, his name is Kendall. I probably end up going, going to hang out with him. We'll probably just sit around, and play the game. I'm, I, I'm in a Fortnite. I like Fortnite a lot, so we <laughs> probably end up playing that a little bit. Then I just, I really like going, out, like I like going out to eat too. So. Like we'll probably go out to eat and I'll probably go home, hanging out with my, you know, my little sister, talking to my parents and then probably uh, play some more Fortnite. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, you know, probably talk to my brother on the phone for a little bit. That's pretty much it. Like I, I don't want if it's not any basketball like for that day, mm -hmm. I would just pretty much just hang out and chill playing video games. That sounds like a nice night. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, now, what I'm sure is not nice, some of the things that, that Preston Green has you do once you get back uh, on campus, what is mm -hmm. the toughest workout that you have to do? I'm sure it's different for everybody. What What is something that he puts you through that you're just, like, dreading when you show up to the gym? I've gotten so much better at them, but, like, pull-ups, I really don't like pull-ups. <laughs> like, pull-ups, they're just, like, so hard to me. Me and Keontae, sometimes Andrew, he doesn't really complain about them a lot, but, like, 
we just always like like when it's pull up day, we like, oh, we got pull ups today. Just like, <laughs> like you're like, man, we gotta go and do some pull ups. But I mean, I've gotten so so much better at them ever since I've you know been here. But that's probably like the the toughest one for me. And um, you know, some of the things that we did in the uh, like when I was a freshman, like strongman, where it's like we're flipping tires, yeah. and doing all that. Stuff. Yeah, that's I I didn't end up doing it this year because of, like my the injury and like I just. Like, in the weight room this year, I'm not doing a whole lot of, you know, heavy lifting because, I mean, I want to prevent myself from, you know, getting hurt again this year. So I've been doing a lot of, you know, uh, we call it body comp, where it's a lot of, you know, fast, fast twist things. Like, you're just going through the workout quick and maybe not a lot of heavy lifting. It's more reps and less weight. I've been doing a lot of that stuff. But overall, I think think the the pull-ups is probably the hardest one. How many pull-ups could you do when you first showed up on campus, and how many can you do today? Uh, when I first got here, I probably only could do, like, five solid ones in a row. And now I could probably do about, like, uh, like 15 to 18 wow. like in a row. That's significant improvement there. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> And I'm and I'm talking about like full reps, like all the way up and like all right. the way down. That's pretty good. I'm, I'm curious next year to see how much higher that number goes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you guys, you welcomed in a ton of new players this offseason, transfers, freshmen, you name it. Um, what's it been like bringing all of these new guys into the team? And what's it like for you being now one of the more experienced players, even just a, as a sophomore? Yeah, it's, it's been great. I mean, I, it's definitely a new a new experience for me. You know, it just it just feels like, you know, I'm coming into a new team again like I was as a freshman. I mean, I guess I'm like considered a vet on the team now too because right. I mean I'm one of the older older guys. So I like leading. I like I like being able to help others and, and I mean I feel like the guys that came in, I mean they're guys that like to listen. They're willing to, you know, take those steps to be the best team we can be and um it's really good. I mean I, I really like I really like the the chemistry that we have and the guys that we have. Mm-hmm. And um for me, it's definitely different from last year. You know, we had a lot of older guys on the team and I was one of the younger guys and you know, I felt like I was thrown into the fire pretty quickly last year. And it was definitely a great, you know, experience for me to help me be able to have this type of like now to be in this type of situation now where it's a whole new team, I felt like I was prepared for it by being thrown into the fire so early. Talking about leadership, I, I know you're going to be part of this new uh, this new project that Scott Strickland has started, this Gator Leadership Program. Can you talk about what that means to you and, and how this program is going to help you grow even further? Um, the program means a lot. I mean, it's, it shows that, you know, the coaches believe in me. The coaches believe that I'm, you know, one of the, the leaders on the team and I, you know, really appreciate it. And the the meetings that I've been in so far have been great. I mean, we brought in some great speakers. I mean, I've learned a learned a lot of things from different people, a lot of things from different uh, sports teams. Like I started to connect a lot of things that I would do as a leader with other sports leaders, and everything kind of like comes together. I mean, it might seem a little different because being different sports, but I mean, leading in you know, say soccer, it, it has some of the same things as leading in basketball. So. And also some different things. So, I mean, I, it feels good to be able to listen to those guys and girls and, and all the leaders. And um, I feel like it's a great program. This time of year, you're obviously doing lots of drills. Some are probably fun. Some are probably terrible. Which ones are the most fun? Which ones are the hardest that you struggle with the most? 
I feel like the the competing drills are the most fun to me when we like play against each other, and it's like competing. The ones that I probably don't like the most, we call them the Jarius closeouts, where you know we pass the ball, we run, we close out, and we like trace the ball, like the dude like you know moves the ball around, then he dribbles, you gotta like stay in front, then he passes to the other side, and you gotta run and do it again. I just don't prefer that drill more than the, <laughs> you know competing drills. And uh, what other drills? We got this thing called Majari's handling too, where you hmm. like you, you dribble forward, do you retreat dribble, do you change directions and then go do it again? You dribble forward, retreat dribble, change directions and then keep going back and forth. And I feel like that one's I just don't prefer that one either. You guys had a, a closed door scrimmage this past weekend against USF. I'm curious, what did you take away from that? What surprised you about the way the team came together the first time against an opponent? What were you excited about? What did you feel like you needed to work on? I was I was excited about just how the team just came together towards it. I mean, in the beginning it was a it looked a little we you know, we got a lot of freshmen and, you know, when we first started playing, probably like a little bit of jitters they had and and it was I mean, once once the guys started to, you know, open open up, start to, you know, lose those lose those little jitters and nervousness, stuff started to look real good. I mean, we started to, you know, offensively we moved the ball really well. I feel like we, you know, came together as a team. We played as a team. We shot the ball really well. But I feel like defensively, I mean, we could have got we could have done so so much better. Um every year we're always like, you know, top 10 in the country in defense and you know, for us to be that again, we got to be in the right places at the right times, you know, being able to guard all the different, you know, plays that the, that the other team has. And, you know, just being able to, you know, hold teams a certain amount of points. And um, I feel like we can we can get much better at that. But guys are still learning. Got a whole new team. So once we start to get going, I feel like it'll, it'll get better. It's not a secret that there's high expectations for you guys, not only internally, but obviously uh, externally as well. Ranked sixth in the country preseason, which is not a position Florida is used to being in. What is that like? I know you try and, and shut that stuff out, but when you know that there's high expectations all across the board, how does that affect this build up to the season? I mean, I just think of it as, you know, well, yeah, I'm pretty sure everybody else thinks this way too. I mean, I just feel like you just got to work even harder at this point. I mean, you don't, you just can't really get content with being ranked that high and stuff like that and having all this publicity and stuff like that in the beginning. Because, I mean, if, if we want to stay there, we got to continue to work hard and continue to stay on that same path because, I mean, we can easily drop. So, I mean, we got to make sure that we not getting content, not getting lazy, making sure we still working as hard as we possibly can and, you know, not taking anything for granted. Florida is the only school in the country with football and basketball ranked in the top 10 as of this moment. How much do you and your teammates get to interact with the, the football guys and, and how closely do you follow what they're doing? Um, there's a few more guys on the team that, I mean, follow the football probably more than I do. I mean, I, I watch the games all the time when they come up. Like, I, I, I've watched every game. Just like on campus, like I know a lot of the guys on the team. You know, we talk. I mean, I, if I see him, you know, I say what's up and we may, might have a little short conversation. But there's some other guys on the team that probably, you know, follow it even more than I do, though. Who's most into football on the team? Probably Keontae. Keontae knows, knows a lot about college football. He knows just a lot about football in general. <laughs> yeah, he, te- he, be, he teaches me a whole lot about it. I know one thing you do watch closely is the NBA, and, and that gets cranked up this week, as a matter of fact. Uh, who and what are you most excited to see this season in the NBA? I'm, I'm curious to see how Houston, Houston is with Russell and uh, 
James Harden back together. Curious to see how that all works out. Because um, my favorite team growing up was uh, Oklahoma City with, you know, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, and Kevin Durant. Sure. And they were, they were, they, that was like my favorite team. Like I would watch them all the time. And um, just to see that they back together, I just, with different roles now. I mean, when, when they were together before, you know, James Harden was coming off the bench six man. I mean, he wasn't really like a, you know, a super, superstar like he is now. And I just want to see how, you know, things work out now that, you know, that roles have changed over the years. And, um, I mean, I wish, I wish KD could be back on the team, but <laughs> yeah, but I'm just curious. To see, I'm curious to see with them though. I know you're, you're a big LeBron guy, LeBron and Anthony Davis. Is that going to work out? I think it will. I think it will. I honestly do. I mean, cause LeBron, I feel like he can do like he can do pretty much everything, and I feel like AD would just, you know, help him being that big, being able to score off of. I, I just feel like, honestly, I just feel like that that that'll work out pretty good. I mean, I feel like, but sometimes it might get a little. You know, there's always going to be some things that you know don't work out the right way. I mean, nothing's going to really be perfect, but I mean, I feel like it's going to end up being being a good look. Well, we hope everything works out for you and your teammates as well as you get ready for the season. So thank you so much for your time and and good luck to you. Okay, thank you. Appreciate it. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. While football has the week off, Be sure to rest up as well, because next Thursday we'll preview one of the most consequential Florida-Georgia games of the last decade. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Gainesville.